Maybe you or someone you know has a serious medical condition. Maybe you're just looking for answers on why you're not feeling well. Well, we've got a great show for you on KLBJ. Hi, I'm Ron Aaron with WellMed Radio, an entertaining and detailed look at health and wellness for seniors and other adults age 18 to 101. We bring you recommendations on how to live longer and healthier lives. Tune in to WellMed Radio Saturdays at 7 p.m. with the Caregiver SOS show immediately following right here on News Radio KLBJ. The Todd and Oz Show is live. Get in on the conversation at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Todd and Oz. It is 532 here on the Wednesday edition of the Todd and Oz Show. I'm Todd Jeffries. He's Patrick Osborne. Vandy, our producer, is here, too. And you can join us at 512-836-0590. They begin with the big stories. House Republicans, they're moving forward with articles of impeachment against Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Arguing his handling of the southern border has led to a surge of illegal migrant crossings. Democrats on the committee spending hours introducing amendments to the two articles of impeachment being marked up. All of them voted down by the majority Republicans in an effort to delay the foregone conclusion of a vote in the committee to send the articles to the full house for a vote later this week. At the start of the day, Republican Chairman Mark Green laying out their case against Mayorkas. He has willfully and systematically refused to comply with the laws passed by Congress and breached the trust of Congress and the American people. The results have been catastrophic and have endangered the lives and livelihoods of all Americans. The ranking Democrat on the committee, Benny Thompson, arguing Republicans have failed to make a constitutionally viable case to impeach Mayorkas. Republican members of Congress sworn to support and defend the Constitution are rejecting the framers clear intent and over two centuries of precedent in favor of a sham impeachment. Throughout the day, long amendments detailing what Democrats believe were the political motivations of Republicans engaged in the impeachment were all read aloud by the court clerk, voted down, appealed, and then tabled. California Democrat Robert Garcia. This is all about trying to get Donald Trump reelected. Donald Trump himself is saying he wants no solutions this year out of the Congress. And Secretary Mayorkas and President Biden continue to offer solutions. Around a quarter of a million illegal crossings were recorded along the Mexico border last month, a record, with most of those detained released into the U.S. pending claims of needing protection. Republican Clay Higgins of Louisiana. We're losing our country down there, and the man responsible for executing that policy is Alejandro Mayorkas. Democrats are accusing former President Donald Trump of obstructing a border deal in the Senate in order to keep the border crisis front and center during the presidential campaign. Earlier in the day, House Speaker Mike Johnson was asked by reporters if House Republicans are running immigration policy through Trump. No, Manu, that's absurd. We have a responsibility here to do our duty. Our duty is to do right by the American people, to protect the people. The first and most important job of the federal government is to protect its citizens. We're not doing that under President Biden. A full House approval of impeachment articles is likely, though not certain, and should it move to the Senate, almost certainly would not result in a conviction. John Stolness, Washington. Meanwhile, state officials continue the disputes over control of the U.S. southern border with the federal government as the number of illegal aliens crossing continues to surge. State Attorney General Ken Paxton. Joe Biden has ordered Border Patrol to do things that they did not want to do, which is not do their job, not just not do their job, but aid and abet the cartels to get as many people in here as fast as possible. 
And he's been doing that the entire time he's been in office, and I'm, I'm grateful for law enforcement in Texas. It's coming just one week after the Supreme Court ruled that the border agents are allowed to remove the razor wire that Texas installed. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick says Texas will continue placing razor wire along the border, even though last week the Supreme Court ruled federal agents can cut it down. Rice University political scientist Mark Jones says the high court's ruling, though, was not clear. Their ruling was in some ways wishy-washy. They said that the Border Patrol could cut down the razor wire, but they didn't say that Texas couldn't put it right back up. He says they were vague about Texas allowing federal agents access to a park the state has taken over in Eagle Pass. But Jones says this is a winning political issue for Texas Republicans, a losing one for Democrats. And if Governor Abbott had his way, the saga would continue through the November elections. Barbara Schwartz, TSN News. It is 536. There was a group of illegal aliens that joined together to beat down police officers in New York's Times Square. Newsman Kevin Cork explains. After being urged by cops to move along Saturday night, the NYPD says four asylum seekers blew up and started raining down kicks and punches on officers before being caught later sometime after the assault. But to add insult to injury, after they were arrested, they were released without bail. Just another uptick on the thermometer for a city already simmering with resentment because of the surge of illegal migrants who, say critics, are flooding hotels and airports and schools. And what's more, it's costing the city millions and millions each and every day. The officers in the video sustained minor injuries and were treated at the scene. It is 537. President Joe Biden has made a decision on how to respond to the deadly attack on U.S. troops in Jordan. In a word. Yes. But the president gave no details on what the response will be, nor if this one may prevent more Iranian-backed militia attacks on U.S. forces, since past ones did not. We'll National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says to expect an appropriate response. Not just a single action, but potentially multiple actions. The balance is in sending a strong signal to the militias while not triggering a bigger conflict. I don't even think we need a wider war in the Middle East. That's not what I'm looking for. But to security analyst Bradley Bowman with the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. That sounds so good in Davos, but our, our adversaries hear that as weakness and a green light for aggression. However, Mideast expert John Alterman at the Center for Strategic and International Studies says staying out of a wider war is a key goal, as is helping reach an Israel-Hamas ceasefire. Hence, the balance. It can't just be about how do you deter the Iranians. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says the president talked this morning with the families of the three soldiers based in Georgia. He was grateful for their time. He expressed to them how proud uh, we all are of their service. And gauged their feelings about him going to Dover Air Force Base when the remains returned. All of them uh, supported his presence there, and so the president will be going to the dignified transfer on Friday. The president did the same in 2021 for the 13 troops killed in a suicide blast during America's Afghanistan withdrawal. Sagar Magani, Washington. It is 539. Most Senate Republicans have endorsed former President Donald Trump well, not even one has endorsed Nikki Haley. Democracy 24. GOP leader Mitch McConnell still hasn't endorsed former President Trump in the race for the White House. This despite a large number of Senate Republicans who now have. Many jumping on the bandwagon after the Iowa caucuses, including Trump's 
2016 opponent, Senator Ted Cruz. I think this race is over. And so I hope we see the Republican Party come together, unify to beat Joe Biden. Privately, some Senate Republicans are concerned about what a Trump ticket could mean for the Senate in November, pointing back to the midterms when there was scrutiny over the quality of Trump pick candidates. The chair of the National Republican Senate Committee, Steve Daines, though, is pushing back on that and urging the party to unite. I've spoken to all of my colleagues. I always respect wherever my colleagues are. U.S. senators, I'll respect the positions they take, but I think time, the time is now to get behind President Trump. On Capitol Hill, I'm Aisha Hosni, Fox News. It is 540. The debate is underway at Austin City Hall over how to deal with aggressive dogs at the Austin Animal Center. The shelter wants a policy shift that would rank dogs' aggression on a sliding scale, with most aggressive dogs being euthanized. A consultant, Devin DeSaul, he says if a dog is too dangerous to be released into the community, it takes up space at an already overcrowded shelter. The more animals you take in and the less you euthanize, Theoretically, you're going to start running out of space. So now maybe you're doubling or tripling up animals in a kennel when there should only be one in there. But Austin considers itself a no-kill city. The critics say they want other solutions. Dessau says one of the possible alternatives would be to spend money to open a brand new animal shelter on a different side of town. The city council will vote on the proposed change tomorrow. It is 541. The Texas Supreme Court will hear will have to decide whether the new state law banning gender transition care for minors will remain in effect or not. As we hear from newsman Chris Fox. The state's highest court hearing arguments on Senate Bill 14. It went into effect in September. It bans puberty blockers, hormone treatments, and gender-related surgeries for minors. Attorney Kenan Wooten represents transgender kids, their parents, and medical providers. The issue here is the state coming into the living room of parents and making decisions about care and that's the problem texas supreme court justice jimmy blacklock questioned whether gender identity was actually a coherent concept it seemed to devolve into a a moral and philosophical question as opposed to the the, the scientific question that you would like it to be there you go newsman chris fox reporting we do have more on that story on our website at newsradioklbj.com Welcome back. It's 549. Todd Jeffries here, and you can join us at 512-836-0590. The fentanyl problem is not showing any signs of getting some smaller in Central Texas. The Hayes County School District lost several teenagers in recent years to this drug, and now the city of Kyle is looking to add Narcan in public parks, which can reverse a fentanyl overdose. Janelle Rodriguez, she lost her 15-year-old son to fentanyl and says it's unfortunate that we need to do something like this, but we need to. Especially kids. They're in the parks, playing basketball, hanging out, and I'm not naive enough to say that our kids are not doing drugs. I mean, it happened to my son, who was an honor student and an athlete. You know, he was experimenting. Yeah, the proposal would have boxes installed in parks containing the reversal drug. The city council will consider that proposal in the coming weeks. Meanwhile, a fentanyl-related state of emergency has been declared in Portland, Oregon. Oregon Governor Tina Kotek, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler, and Multnomah County Chair Jessica Vega-Peterson all declaring a 90-day state of emergency for Portland. 
to address the public health and public safety crisis driven by fentanyl. The declaration includes directing agencies to work with first responders and connecting people addicted to the deadly synthetic opioid with resources, including drug treatment programs and health department-led public education campaigns on the drug. Governor Kotak explaining in a statement, the three leaders recognize the need to act with urgency and unity across public health and community safety systems to make a dent in this crisis, adding we are all in this together. Mm. Kristen Goodwin, Fox News. It is 551, and with a look at Wednesday business, here's reporter Jessica Edinger. Welcome to the last trading day of January. The major averages are on pace for a winning month after a mixed day yesterday. UPS shares tanked on lower package volume in the last quarter. It's cutting 12,000 jobs. Shares tanked after missing revenue expectations and putting out a bleak forecast. It's looking to cut a billion dollars in cost as it comes off what executives described as a difficult and disappointing year. UPS is cutting 12,000 jobs. CNBC's Kate Rooney. Microsoft, the most valuable company on earth, out with better than expected quarterly results last night after the closing bell. We're just looking at the numbers, but since its IPO, it's up 400,000 percent. Total return since its IPO 38 years ago, it's 675,000%. So I'm not going to say $3 trillion is, is the top in Microsoft. CNBC's Mike Santoli. Alphabet? Not so much. It reported an ad sales slowdown at Google. Starbucks is out with results that show disappointing sales outside of the U.S. The Fed announces a decision on interest rates 2 p.m. Eastern this afternoon. It's widely expected to hold them steady. I think they are going to try and walk a very fine line between not ruling March out as a live meeting for a rate cut and not absolutely locking it in as a meeting for a rate cut. I think they're going to try and keep it live. I think they're going to try and keep their options open. You know, we've got a couple of really big data points between now and that meeting, and so they're not going to want to be too definitive. New York Times economic reporter Gina Smilek on CNBC. Consumers sure like those lower prices at the pump. And in grocery stores, consumer confidence is at its highest in about three years. Consumer confidence, this is from the conference board, January numbers. Headline expected at 114.8, and that's exactly what we had. And that happens to be the best level since Dece of 2021. CNBC's Rick Santelli. Yeah, lawmakers are threatening to hold social media companies accountable for harm done to kids online. Executives from Facebook and Instagram parent Meta, TikTok, Snap Parent Snapchat, and Discord will be on Capitol Hill to face questioning. This hearing is going to be a bombshell because the major leaders of the tech titans will be there and we're going to ask tough questions with documents that we have to show that they have disregarded their responsibility to protect children. Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal on CNBC. Also on today's watch list, we get earnings from Boeing. We get a read on private sector hiring for the month from ADP. And the Fed will announce its decision on interest rates at 2 p.m. Eastern, followed by a news conference from Fed Chair Jay Powell. All right, that is reporter Jessica Edinger. It is 5.54. The White House is looking to regulate artificial intelligence. Fox on set. President Biden's administration is implementing new requirements for artificial intelligence developers. The White House AI Council convened to review President Biden's executive order from October, which includes mandates such as requiring AI companies to report their safety tests. The council says the reports are to ensure new systems are safe before being released to the public. The executive order also calls for the National Institute of Standards and Technology to create a set of benchmarks for the companies to meet when assessing safety. 
The executive order has also directed increased investment and innovation, with agencies taking several steps, including launching a pilot of the National AI Research Resource, launching an AI talent surge to accelerate hiring professionals across the federal government, and beginning the Educate AI initiative to help fund educators creating high-quality, inclusive AI educational opportunities at the K-12 through undergraduate levels. With Fox on Tech, I'm Anna Eliopoulos, Fox News. The Todd and Oz Show is live. Get in on the conversation at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Todd and Oz. It is 6.05 here on the Todd and Oz Show. I'm Todd Jeffries. He's Patrick Osborne. And Vandy, our producer, is here. Yeah, the only thing we need now is you and your opinion at 512-836-0590. Yeah, we're here till 10, and we got so much to get to this morning. Uh, They're moving forward with the uh, articles of impeachment against uh, DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. So that's making news this morning. The tension continues to build between the feds and Texas along the border. Uh, You can join us at 512-836-0590. Listen, there's a video that's circulating uh, in in cyberspace overnight. Uh, A group of uh, illegal aliens in New York attacking and beating the snot out of a couple of cops. Yeah. I mean, this was a mob attack, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and, and and this is pretty scary because this kind of scenario could be played out in just about every sanctuary city in America. And, and maybe even hundreds of times along the border, right? Yeah. New York video, it shows a group of illegal aliens trying to beat down a New York police officer in Times Square. So far, police have arrested five migrants. Four of them already have been released without bail. And they're still searching for five more who were involved in this violent attack. So the brawl broke out Saturday night in the heart of Times Square when two officers were trying to break up a rowdy crowd near a migrant shelter. They were trying to arrest one of the men when the others jumped in, kicking and punching the officers in the head and body. The group then runs away from the area, but the officers catch up and make arrests. Both officers were treated at the scene for minor injuries of cuts and bruising. Yeah, the Manhattan uh, District Attorney's Office says uh, in an investigation is uh, ongoing. You see this video, it's incredibly unsettling. Yeah, well, it, it, it's infuriating, too. I, I mean, because you've got, you've got a, you know, a, an NYPD beat cop and a, and a lieutenant there with the both of them. And they're just, you know, they just kind of wave them, just their hands, just, you know, come move along, move along. Doing their job. And before you know it, it's there. Uh, uh, there's raining blows down on these cops kicks to the head it's this it's this mob of absolute savages and the, i mean this is this is not okay you know luckily they were able to chase them down because you know they go running off like like the punks they are yeah uh, and you know they they caught some of them, but uh, but let them out with no bail. Yeah, just, yeah. Just, just, okay, go, okay, no harm, no foul. Just go on, go back to wherever you were staying. Now, I bet you, if the average American citizen were to viciously beat on a cop like that, they wouldn't be let out like that with a with, with virtually no punishment. No, you know, come to this country illegally and then get in a fight with cops and try to beat one up. Yeah, that's a double whammy, man. Yeah. It is uh, 608. You can jump in here at 512-836-0590. The, the city of Austin on their website, and, and, and this is the only place you'll hear this story. You won't, uh, you won't be able to hear this story anyplace else. Uh, you won't be able to read it anywhere, but uh, it's on the city's website. The city of Austin is looking to connect asylum seekers with flights to sponsor destinations. And now the city of Austin is calling on the feds for some reimbursement money. Uh-huh. Yeah, the city of Austin is coordinating travel support 
to help asylum seekers reach their sponsored destinations across the United States. This follows a request for support from the city of San Antonio. San Antonio, the sanctuary city that it is, is begging that the sanctuary city of Austin, Texas, help them. Mm. And basically, it's the transporting of uh, illegal aliens from San Antonio to Austin's airport, take care of them for a day maybe until they get on a flight to go to their sponsored destinations. Uh, they say that uh, the city's website says the assistance is designed to provide humane and effective ways of relieving some of the pressure on San Antonio and help people reach their sponsored destinations in a timely, safe manner. Uh, Austin and AUS is effectively serving as a pass-through point for guests coming through the border, from the border, who are uh, in need of air transport to their sponsor destinations. Guests. Who are the sponsor destinations? That's what I'd like to know. Sanctuary cities, right? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. 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 But, but I'd like a full manifest of where all these people have been have been sent. Like, every one of them. Yeah. We, we, should, we should know exactly where every one of these illegal immigrants was sent. Austin anticipates about 120 illegal aliens to be arriving uh, uh, on a bus from San Antonio each operating day. And they'll make a pit stop at the Transportation Assistance Center in the city uh, to confirm their documentation before being taken to the Austin airport to board their pre-booked flights. Mm. This is to ensure an effective use of staff resources that the airport operations continue to run efficiently, utilizing existing airline capacity there are no increased flights or airline activity due to this operation. This is all on the city's website. And basically, they're asking for uh, some federal dollars. Uh, they're seeking it from uh, uh, some of the humanitarian funds uh, that the federal government issues sometimes. Yeah. So facilitating the transport of illegal immigrants who, who slipped across the border, mo- a lot of them, mm-hmm. uh, so they can fly without even any sort of you know regular TSA check screening like the rest of us would have to go through. They call that an effective use of resources. Mm. I, we, we, this should be San Antonio's burden and San Antonio's burden alone. Uh, you know, the fact that we're helping them as, as a pass-through point. Mm. They made their bed down there. They can lie in it. We, we've got our own problems here. And, and I, I'm just I'm tired of, of, of government saying that, you know, we have to just continue to shoulder the financial burden of all these grown adults who made grown adult decisions. Well, listen, it's all your money. Yeah, the city of Austin will be applying for full reimbursement for all expenses associated with the travel and the transportation under the FEMA Emergency Food and Shelter Program, humanitarian relief funding grants. Mm. So uh, there you go. Yeah, uh, it's this is on the city's website. Yeah. Well, go. it sounds to me like the you know the the city knew that it could probably spend money and and that the federal government would you know reimburse it, and that's probably what will happen. Kind of like when we gave Iran that six billion dollars. <laughs> 616 here on the Tide of Show. You can join us at 512-836-0590. Squeeze in Keith on the Tide of Show this morning. Hey, Keith. Hey, what's, good morning. Yes, sir. What's on your mind? Yeah, the uh, Roosevelt Hotel in New York City are evicting the migrants, right? They're, yeah. New York's starting to, to run out of money, so now they're putting the migrants out on the street. And that's why, you know, those migrants, they attack those two police officers. Money's running out. Well, it's bound to happen eventually. Sure. I mean, it's well, very it fun. Well, here, here's, the, here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing. And I include Austin in this. Austin is a sanctuary city. San Antonio is a sanctuary city. New York, Denver, Chicago, Baltimore, 
but none of them planned on being sanctuary cities. None of them uh, stockpiled money to be a sanctuary city at all. It was it was really about just being sanctimonious. Yeah. And Austin is in that same category as well, right? Austin will spend a lot of your tax dollars on a variety of illegal alien legal defense issues, but they're not willing to take care of illegal aliens themselves. Yeah. I don't want them to, but it just shows how hypocritical this Austin City Council is. Yeah. We had an interview with two migrants from Venezuela in New York City, and they said they want to leave. They're like, man, New York City is way too hard. We can't make it here on our own. So they went to a <laughs> church group, a GMO. They gave them a bus ticket to go to Georgia. So now these poor two guys are going to go down to Georgia and try to get a job or do something, you know. So the one wanted to go back to Venezuela to his his family's in Colombia, mm. but he said that America is just not true what they told them, that they're going to come here and get a place to live and get a job. You know, they want to work, but there's no jobs. They're not getting jobs. Yeah. And that money's cut off now. The money has ran out. Oops. So here we go. Yeah. Got a powder keg. Yeah, no yeah. doubts. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It is uh, 618 uh, you could jump in here at 512-836-0590. He, he mentioned New York there. You know, it, it's one of a number of major cities uh, I've heard about. Uh, there's actually a, a Chicago Democrat. He's running for the Illinois House up there. He's calling out Chicago's mayor, uh, calling it an invasion. I mean, you're starting to hear actual Democrats starting to call this what it is, an invasion, talking about how parks and city schools and apartments uh, have, have all been used for placing illegal immigrants Chicago residents are actually getting displaced in favor of people who are here illegally. Yeah. Uh, this is this is a, a growing problem for major cities, and this is what they wanted, right? This is what they asked for. This is not any city's responsibility. Well, it shouldn't be. At all. It shouldn't be. They're not responsible for taking care of you. No. No city government's responsible for taking care of you no. as a citizen. They're definitely not responsible for taking care of someone who invaded our country and then attacks a group of cops in New York. That's right. Uh, all right. Listen, it is uh, 619. Uh, the House committee has uh, approved uh, articles of impeachment. Uh, they did that earlier this morning against Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas uh, with the border is uh, a major 2024 campaign issue. Here's reporter Carmen Roberts uh, with the very latest. Lawmakers on the House panel voted along party lines to approve two articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and send them to the full House. Committee Chairman Mark Green accused Mayorkas of refusing to enforce immigration laws. That is a violation of the Immigration and Nationality Act. It's actually willful and systemic. Democrats, however, called the proceedings a sham. This isn't about actually solving the problem for my Republican colleagues. It is about having an issue. Congressman Seth Magaziner urged Republicans to instead stop blocking legislation to address problems at the border. Carmen Roberts, Fox News. Now, Border Patrol agents have encountered more than six million illegal aliens at the border since Joe Biden took office. Mm -hmm. And uh, many months to still go, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it, it's interesting, the, the reaction to so many of the Democrats here who are saying this is a sham, this is just political theater, there's no basis here. Uh, I, I don't, I, what world are you living in uh, when, when we have, you know, the, the Homeland Security Secretary, the man who is supposed to be president of this country, all right. facilitating and, and basically endorsing this wide open border, all while they'll tell you it's secure. 
Uh, very impeached. But you've got Sheila Jackson Lee out there from Houston. Uh, you know, she's out there saying, well, impeachment is not meant as a tool for revenge. Uh, and then she's getting called out over it because, well, let's not forget how she used it as a tool for revenge against Donald Trump. And you say her name, and I just kind of threw up in my mouth a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, <laughs> wanting to protect the country and secure the border is just yeah. revenge. Yeah. 621, uh, jump in at 512-836-0590. Well, after uh, some lengthy debates, the uh, Planning Commission of Austin has given its blessing to a series of amendments that will help shape the city's telework policy. Now, this has been a big debate with city employees. Mm. A lot of them don't want to go back to the office at all. They fought hard against it. Well, listen, it's a debate in many companies right now, right? Uh, I, th- I think uh, upper management is kind of done with this telework thing. I really do. Uh, they want people back in the office. Well, the uh, the Planning Commission last year, uh, well, here's what they're initiating. Uh, the Planning Commission last year is a, a change to Austin's strategic mobility plan. And during the height of the pandemic, the city, the city shifted about half of its workforce to telework. But last year, uh, the interim city manager pushed back against the uh, permanent change. In October, the city council endorsed the Planning Commission's approach and and changes that would increase the number of city employees who work from home were put into uh, the context of transportation goals. Yeah, that's how they framed it. Yeah, in other words, uh, the city's mission to get more to get fewer people, uh, you know, to get more people off the road and out of their cars and onto mass transit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Planning Commission and some of these city employees are saying, hey, wait a minute, we don't want to come back to the office because it goes against our, our climate change policies. That's right. We That's want right. to save the planet. Also puts Vision Zero at risk, you know, that that lofty goal of zero deaths on the roads by, I think it's 2050. Now. Yeah. Yeah. All that's at jeopardy. Well, the commissioners, they embraced the amendments voting 10 to 2 to recommend the changes to city council with Commissioner Greg Anderson and Felicia Maxwell voting against it. However, the discussion revealed concerns with how specific the policy should be. Uh, Maxwell noted that a previous presentation by uh, Travis County Commissioner Bridget Shea on county policy had noted that strong telework policy had attracted employees. And she suggested that establishing an, an eligibility goal could help with the recruitment at the city level as well. There's some people that want to work from home. Uh, now, she praised the county's policy, which has a goal of 75% of county workers to be eligible to telework and push for a more ambitious language in the proposed amendments. So I guess that means we can start selling off some city and county assets, the buildings and things we're not going to need, right? Absolutely. Right? Sure. Because absolutely. I bet you we don't. I bet you we continue to pay the utilities on them month after month after month, even though nobody's showing up. Right. Uh, I. I th- I get it. If if you're effective at home, great. But if they tell you to come back, there's the decree. Come back. Well, sometimes you you need to uh, conduct the people's business. You need to be face to face with the people to conduct the people's business. Absolutely. Well, Bridget says she suggested an amendment that would show the city is serious about regional pushes to encourage teleworking by increasing the work from home goal by 25 percent for all Austinites by 2039. All also, like public and private sector. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're making a big push. Uh, in addition, her amendment, she asked that 85% of eligible city employees work from home. How about that? I just, I mean, I, 85% of, of city, of public sector employees in the city of Austin could do their jobs from home? I don't think so. Does that, that seems I mean, far-fetched. Does that mean that, like, we could cut some bloat? And employment. I mean, I don't want to see people lose their jobs, but if 85% of the city doesn't even have to show up to work to do their job, right? 
Doesn't sound like it sounds like I don't know. I think that's uh, I you think know, that's, we need to look at staffing. I think it's kind of an outrageous goal, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't mind some people working from home, but eighty five percent. I don't know how that would affect uh, you know business. How would it would affect things? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, do, just think about it. If eighty five percent of people are working from home. They're not stopping for lunch downtown and shopping and doing that. Great point. And other economic engines that keep this city going, right? They're not buying Uber. They're not going to lunch. They're not, you know, that sort of thing. But they're also not putting wear and tear on their cars and and, and clogging up roadways. So, you know, it's kind of a yin and yang. I can understand. If if, if you were to get on a daily basis or regular basis, 85% of city workers off the street, I could see that, you know, unclogging the roads a little bit. You you might notice that. Mm. But I'll tell you right now. 100% 100% of the entire city could work from home and never drive to work again. That's not going to save the planet. And I'm tired of these It's true. It's the, not. these these uh, pious lectures from from our our city and county officials as though we have to do this and we will save the planet. No you won't. If 100% of us work from home that no, it wouldn't save the planet. Not going to happen. You'd still have your sky is falling climate cults. Absolutely. It is uh, 626 uh, jump in at 512 8360590 Check this out uh, if you're a manager or if you want to change your career this is pretty interesting uh Walmart has become uh well if you want to become a Walmart manager you could make about $400,000 a year What? Yeah 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 Walmart Supercenter managers can make 400k Yeah the chain has also announced that you can uh Make another 20000 in stock grants if you become a, a manager of a Walmart super center. You know the big ones? Yeah. Well, according to CBS, Walmart moved after re- increasing its manager's base pay from, uh, well, to 128000 a year from one hundred and seventeen k a year. And if you want to become a manager, you don't have to have a college degree. The average time to, to move to manager status from an entry-level position takes about five years. Not too bad. How about that? That's not too bad at all. Four hundred k worth the WalMarts. Now that's pretty. That's pretty steep. I mean, you know, you're, well, man, you're managing a super, super, whatever. Well, consider this. I mean, you may have to get in a fight. You may have to spank a kid or something like that. Yeah, that's kind of the dude. You're going to see that kind of stuff. You're going to see some. You're going to see some crazy stuff, man. Mm-mm-mm. You're going to see some wild stuff as a Walmart super center manager. It's a pretty good salary. You know those two a.m. Uh, customers. You know. Yeah. Good night. Yeah. But you're to. getting paid 400k, so you get to get to deal with you. That, right? You you could accept the riffraff for 400k. Yeah, yeah, I could. That's pretty impressive. I had no idea. That's no, I did. I I'm actually I'm still having a hard time believing that. It's kind of like uh, Bucky's is like that too. They Bucky's pays well. It's what I've heard. Yeah, I've heard. But five years, I mean, to you know, to go from uh, you know entry level up into management, I I I've heard of worse. Career path, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely a lot worse things that people have tried. I just, I was just shocked when I read that story. Yeah, me 400K. too. Four hundred K. That's great, though. Congratulations, to whoever gets now, that that's, gig. That's at the super centers. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, still, that's a lot. That's maybe two hundred K more than I would expect. Six thirty-two here on the Todd and Oz Show, and join us at five one two eight three six zero five ninety. Gosh, it's been uh, two years, a year for sure, right? Uh, when we had the East uh, Palestine, Ohio uh, train accidents. Yeah. yeah, Joe Biden is set to visit uh, that area. Uh, you know, sometime early next week. 
Uh, you know, it's uh, one of the one year after the toxic train derailment there. Newsman Peter Ducey has more from the White House. The mayor of East Palestine told one of our White House producers earlier this month <laughs> that his preference at this point after a year would be for President Biden. And this is a quote. He said the best time for him to come would be February of 2025 when he is on his book tour. And the mayor there, Trent Conaway, also said we have heard nothing from the administration about a visit. He also said, I don't know what he would do here now. We have no idea why this announcement is happening now, except for the fact that Ohio is a battleground state in the election year that we are now in. Yeah, now, uh, it's better if I come for my book tour in 2025. Right. <laughs> well, during the uh, the trip, President Biden will meet with residents impacted by the uh, the chemical spill and uh, and the results from that uh, that train derailment more than a year ago. Why would anybody want to have anything to do with him? It was February third of last year, and how many times has Biden gone over there to talk to those people? Zero. That's right, big goose egg. And now he's going to show up a year later for what uh, uh, to mark the anniversary? Like you know, he's he's he, really, he really cares. Yeah. I, I this could backfire heavily on him. Like, you know, those people are probably not big fans of Joe Biden there in East Palestine. He just made a great argument that he should go now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, right. Let's see. Let's see the reaction. I'd like to see it. Listen, uh, former President Donald Trump has a towering thirty-five percentage point lead over uh, the last remaining Republican primary opponents, uh, former Governor Nikki Haley, the Republican from South Carolina. And in South Carolina, according to uh, uh, the latest poll conducted by the group, uh, 35% uh, advantage in her home state. Her own backyard. Yeah, the poll first published by uh, Messenger uh, earlier this week. It shows Trump garnered 66% of support among likely South Carolina Republican primary voters. Uh, he more than doubles Haley's uh, 31%. Yeah. Yeah, absolute blowout. And and, and that that's, comes as no surprise. I mean, it, it's all starting to shift in Donald Trump's favor. She's just wasting time. Is, uh, is, is, uh, is, would that be an embarrassing loss in her home state? I would think it would, right? I think so. Yeah, but, but not unexpected. Well, Trump's support is com comprised of 59% of respondents who will uh, definitely vote for him and 6% who say they probably will. And conversely, 7% of the poll participants say that they will probably support Nikki Haley, and 24% definitely will. Another 4%, they're just not decided. Mm -hmm. Now, when voters learn uh, that former Representative Liz Cheney, the Republican from Wyoming, who uh, co-chaired the, uh, the January the 6th uh, Select Committee, endorsed Haley, her support drops to 29%. Yeah. You don't want that endorsement. Mm -mm. Yeah. Moreover, the shares of voters who would uh, definitely vote for Haley dropped from uh, 24% to 21%. They don't like that curse of, uh, of Liz Cheney on their back. Who would? Who would? Uh, there, there are a lot of interesting polls out there. Some of the numbers I, I, I was looking at, too, uh, this morning consult poll here shows, you know, Nikki Haley's really been taking a lot of shots at Donald Trump's age. Um, you know, trying to argue that, uh, that in, in some sort of... I don't know what weird reality she lives in, but in her reality, apparently Donald Trump and Joe Biden are both uh, cognitively not not fit for for office. When the truth is, only one of those, and his name is not Donald Trump. So uh, uh, this poll is showing that uh, that's not resonating with GOP primary voters. Only thirteen percent say that they they strongly agree with with Haley's attacks on Trump's age. Interesting. So you know she's she's trying and failing, grasping at straws. Kind of like Ron DeSantis did before he went down in flames. It's pretty interesting. This same poll, uh, in talking about uh, Nikki Haley's performance as governor, 
And, and apparently two out of three of all the respondents approved of her performance as governor. But among those who uh, uh, gave her positive marks, uh, Trump still leads 56% to 40%. Well, you know, I mean, it, it's entirely possible that, sure. that they, they enjoyed her as governor, but enjoyed Donald Trump as president even more. Sounds like she was a good governor. Yeah, I mean, that they I, I've not heard a lot of people over there say a lot of negative stuff about you know, mm-hmm. South Carolina living over there. Yeah. But she's she's really just taking taking up money, taking up attention. Uh, uh, stopping the GOP from really unifying behind the inevitable. It is uh, 637. Uh, you can join us at 512-836-0590. The headline is the FBI violated hundreds of Americans' constitutional rights in a Beverly Hills raid. It's all according to an appeals court ruling. Now, this, is, uh, this is an amazing story. Uh, the FBI violated a safe deposit box renter's Fourth Amendment rights during a 2021 raid. This is according to uh, a court ruling. Yeah, the FBI, uh, this was back in 21. They seized the contents of hundreds of safe deposit boxes in a raid on a Beverly Hills business suspected of money laundering. Uh, here's a quote from the story. This was a resounding victory, not just for our clients, but for hundreds of people who have been stuck in a nightmare for years because of uh, what the FBI did. Institute for Justice Senior Attorney Rob Frommer, who represents several of the plaintiffs in this case. Well, the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals found the Bureau violated the U.S. Private Vaults Box Holders Fourth Amendment rights against unreasonable search and seizure by opening and cataloging the contents of 1,400 safe deposit boxes without individual criminal warrants for each. Yep, yep, yep. These G-men took about $86 million in cash and looted a whole lot of jewelry and, and everything else out of those boxes. Vivek Ramaswamy is right. Yeah. You can't just get rid of Christopher Ray. You got to get rid of the FBI. Mm. Yeah. They're, they're, this is incredibly offensive. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is horrific. Well, the January 23rd re- ruling, it reversed a uh, 2022 lower court decision siding with the FBI. It requires federal officials to destroy any inventory records and hundreds of box holders uh, not char- charged with the crime. The agents took $86 million in cash. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they looted these, these, these boxes. It was a, a trove of jewelry, gold bars, coins, silver, watches, all kinds of things. Uh, in May of that year, the FBI, well, commenced this administrative forfeiture procedure against an unspecified number of boxes. Mm. They were trying to track down a specific account, basically. And they ended up sweeping everybody up involved in this, and they had no connection to any crime whatsoever. Hundreds of these box holders, no crimes at all. And they had all that money, all that jewelry, all that gold, coins, everything taken from them. I would assume this is at a particular bank, right? Yeah, I think so. Well, that's, is it, or is this one bank? Because, I, I, well, I mean, 1,400 boxes, I mean, this got to be multiple banks, right? Probably, but it's probably one bank with, with multiple branches would be my guess well here's uh the fbi's raid on the uh, the u.s private vaults was part of a, an investigation on the company u.s private vaults which ultimately shut down and pleaded guilty to conspiracy and laundering drug money the government argued that the ninth circuit court uh, that is the the warrant authorized the fbi to seize the deposit boxes and the inventory of their contents uh in accordance with standard policy uh, but the unsealed court documents show that neither the fbi nor the U.S. Attorney's Office told a judge in their warrant request that the agents planned to confiscate the contents of every box containing at least $5,000 in cash and belongings. Yeah, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, they were expressly told, uh, they were ordered to just look what's in these boxes to determine who, you know, what's in there and, and who, what belongs to who. These SOBs were modern-day pirates. Yeah. 
They, they stole the booty. They made away with a lot of booty, didn't they? They did. It was a booty call. Well, the warrant only authorizes authorities to seize business computers, money counters, and surveillance equipment. The judge also allowed uh, them to seize safety deposit boxes and keys, but specifically wrote the agent should only inspect the contents of the boxes in an effort to identify their owners. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Not take it. Don't take the $86 million and, and uh, you know, all these wow. great-great-grandmothers, uh, you know, jewelry. Yeah, you know, just look at it. Figure out if it belongs. Figure out if it's even warranted that you know you do that. Yeah, feds didn't care. They're just like, look at this. Yeah, now gold mine, big score. Yeah, this was uh, the company U.S. Private Vault. It wasn't a specific bank or anything, but uh, man, this sounds uh, this sounds like something that the Cuban government would do. <laughs> sounds like something that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the Venezuelan government would do, or, or, the, or the Russian government. It's been appropriated by the Panamanian or, government. Or it sounds like something Canadians would do to truckers. Yeah, to right. truckers. Yeah. 6.46 here on the Todd and I Show. Jump in here. 512-836-0590. New data from the city of Austin shows the number of severe dog attacks have gone up in our city just over the last couple of years. In 2023, the city recorded more than 130 severe uh, bite incidents or attacks, if you will. This according to uh, data released by the city staff. Uh, compared to uh, uh, that between 2017 and 2020 in that three-year period, there were only uh, 70 incidents. Now, um, it, it, this is something that Devin DeSaw, who represents, uh, who, who, who presented before the Austin City Council in a work session yesterday, said it's a concern for city staff and, and something they're trying to help address by changes brought before uh, the city council this week. Uh, there's a thing called the Dunbar Scale, and I'm sure it's named after some scientific researcher, but basically it's a scale, one to six, that grades a dog on uh, its, uh, you know, aggression, if you will. One being, yeah, they got an attitude, but they haven't attacked anyone or another dog. Mm -hmm. And six, meaning they have attacked another dog or a person and caused some serious damage. Or death. Or death. So uh, the idea is we may need to euthanize the four, fives, and sixes and then figure out something else for the one, twos, and threes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, all, all these arguments make sense. To, to do this. To, that I've not heard anything that... that I don't, I'm not sure why some people are opposed to this. Well, but they love dogs. Sure, and, I do too. Uh, and, 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 they're, and they're committed to this, this thing of being a no-kill city. And uh, they've allowed the love for dogs to cloud their judgment. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're overzealous when it comes to uh, working at the animal center. And I get it. We need people like that to take care of dogs and cats, right? We need, we need people that love animals to come and volunteer their no time. Doubt. But sometimes they go just a little bit too far, and their judgment's clouded, right. and they don't understand good wildlife management. Well, and think about this scale, too. This is an aggression scale. This is not like if you're a one on this Dunbar scale, you're just a regular dog. If you're a one on this Dunbar scale, you are a dog that has exhibited signs of aggression. You just haven't acted on them yet. Six is the most severe. So all these dogs, to be ranked, ha have some degree of, of concern. I don't know why, if a dog is, is considered a, a four, a five, a six on these, why there would be any debate about keeping them alive, because they, they, it's, it's a public safety risk at that point. Well, they are releasing uh, animals from yeah. that shelter with a bite history. Yeah. Uh, Dessal, she presented to the city council this week that, uh, that many animals are being uh, adopted out. Under the shelter's current raking system, nearly 500 dogs with a recorded history of attacks classified as moderate to severe have been released either to other shelters or adopted out since 2019. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, now, those numbers are not included uh, in, in the last half of 2022 and 2023, so the numbers could be a little bit higher. Nearly 70 dogs that had bitten someone bad enough to be labeled severe cases have been adopted out. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, this is the first time I think that I've agreed uh, with Chino Vela on this issue. We should not be adopting any dog out that has a threat to potentially hurt someone, in our, no. and, and all, we shouldn't be allowed, no. And, and he's right on this one. Now, this could end up costing us money, though, as taxpayers, because, you know, there are people out there that are like, look, I don't like this idea. We're no-kill city. There have to be other options. And, and so one of the other options presented was we could build another shelter Build elsewhere. another shelter to ease the overcrowding. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've got dogs in your shelter that are unadoptable, you're just wasting space. That's right. And how can you, how can you have an overcrowded shelter and no mandatory spay and neuter law? And how can you have... Uh, 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 you know, throw all your money at these animal shelters and still allow businesses in the area to sell dogs out of uh, cages at high interest loans. Huh? Yeah. I mean, Round Rock Outlet Mall? Doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. Mm-mm. It's like nobody's uh, thinking clearly on, on what to do with dangerous animals and how to manage, you know, the, the shelter. And again, we're, you know, we're not talking about uh, your little chihuahua that hates everybody but you and, and snaps at everybody. We're talking about like a real deal, Surreal. significant injury or death. Stitches, death, yes. hospitalization, uh, plastic surgery, face disfiguration. K- we, we had a story earlier this week about a woman who was scalped. Yeah, yeah. KXAN talked to her. And in that uh, that that uh, Austin City Council work session yesterday during this presentation, they they showed some some very very graphic bite photos. That these are the kind of wounds that that they have. Dogs that do that have no place in in, in being in in public. In period. Am I wrong here? The obvious answer is to euthanize the most dangerous ones today. No. Free up shelter space for adoptable pets. No, no, and and anybody that knows me knows that that you're 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 going to be hard pressed to find a bigger advocate for dogs than me. But in this case, you're absolutely right, 100%. Yeah, well, the Austin City Council could vote this week uh, to change how the Animal Center uh, handles some of the most dangerous dogs. This resolution before the City Council tomorrow, which uh, has many elements, includes a change from the city's current internal measurements for aggressive dogs. And it's nationally recognized the, uh, the in Dunbar scale, one through six. The most severe on that scale, six, uh, is an animal that killed someone. And I think we all collectively, unanimously listening right now can agree that if a dog has killed someone, that dog has to be put down today, I, today, mm-hmm. by, by the end of the day. Almost always, you know, you hear about dog mauling, things like that, where someone dies and the dog is ultimately euthanized. I, I, I didn't realize we were making exceptions here. Well, the least severe is a one. It's an aggressive dog, but it has not bit anyone. Okay. I don't know why you would adopt that out to a family in Austin at all. A husband, wife, and a couple of kids living at home. That's not a home for a one. No, no. But, you know, there are people out there that say, listen, you know, I've got experience with dogs, uh, you know, with sort of aggression, uh, rescue organizations, things like that. Okay, fine. You want to take on that responsibility. It's not, I don't believe this is a dog for a child, a home with a child in it. But if if you, a single man or a rescue organization, want to take it on, then so be it. I bet some homeowners insurance policies have something to say about this. Because if you adopt a one and you live next door to me, and you're a one that attacks my kids, mm-hmm. I'm suing your ass. Yeah. Because you adopted a one that has a, has a history of abiding people and attacking people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. City shouldn't be uh, adopting out one through sixes at all.
Yeah, I mean, like I said, if they're on this scale for any reason, that means that the, you know they haven't just been you know your typical you know spot lying around being a, a, a lovable dog. There they've, they've shown signs. There ain't no apartment community in town that's going to allow you to adopt a one through six. Well, you know, a lot of apartments do have uh, a dog breed restri- restrictions based yeah. on the assumption that they're going to be aggressive. Well, uh, according to the story at KXC, and right now before an animal is euthanized the, at the Austin Animal Center, even if there is a reason for behavior, other organizations can select members of the public that have a right to rescue. That's a quote. Members of the public have a right to rescue. Mm-hmm. This would eliminate the possibility if any animal is deemed to be uh, aggressive. Mm. The public has a right to rescue. Yeah, and and I, I I pulled a soundbite. I'm not sure about that. I I I don't. Well, I in some cases, you know, in a normal case, yeah, in a dog that's just not you know aggressive or, or just acting normal, yeah, I think you have a right to rescue it if you want to. Counts- but if this dog has killed somebody, no. Yeah, Councilmember Cheeto Vela, he says we want to make sure that dogs that have caused serious bodily injury to people are not released back out into the public anymore. That means the city has been doing that. Yeah, Maybe that's the reason why you got so many attacks. He's right. It shouldn't be happening. As I was uh, digging through uh, that that meeting earlier this morning, pulling a couple of sound bites on it, there was that uh, uh, Devin Desai was talking about how just because they these dogs on the high end of the scale could be eligible for euthanasia doesn't mean they would be, and it's going to they'll have to take in all these different factors into account the the circumstances, the environment, things that may have prompted the animal to bite in the first place. Um, so you know, it it sounds to me like there's still a stronger push to not euthanize. Well, the city staff, uh, they, say, they say they do not believe that this resolution will impact the city's uh, uh, rate of 95%. It's, it's a 95% no-kill rate. Uh, it, some animals have to be put down because of sickness and, and injury, of course. Uh, well, anyway, um, here's what Cheeto Vela says. When an animal has done that level four or the type of damage, they say an animal is too dangerous to be released to the public anymore. And he's right. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 I, I, I know it sounds harsh and it sounds tragic, but that is the most humane way to deal with the animal. It, it doesn't sound harsh to me, though. It sounds logical. Yeah, the problem is for some of the zealots that volunteer their time at, at the animal shelter. Thank you for volunteering your time. We Indeed. need you. But they don't see that. Their judgment is clouded by their love for the dog. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and they see that as a, as a child, a human being. Well... I mean, you're you're <laughs> you're going to be hard pressed to uh, if if you've got a a, a, a murderer, you know, you're you're probably not going to say, listen, uh, let me just take him into my house because I I, I think I can rehabilitate him here. Mm. You know, no, he's going to be locked up or you know put to death. Insurance guy just texted us at five one two eight three six zero five ninety. Says insurance guy here. If you have a bad dog, we will not insure you. The Todd and Oz Show weekday mornings five to ten on News Radio KLBJ. Maybe you or someone you know has a serious medical condition. Maybe you're just looking for answers on why you're not feeling well. Well, we've got a great show for you on KLBJ. Hi, I'm Ron Aaron with WellMed Radio, an entertaining and detailed look at health and wellness for seniors and other adults aged 18 to 101. We bring you recommendations on how to live longer and healthier lives. Tune in to WellMed Radio Saturdays at 7 p.m. with the Caregiver SOS show immediately following right here on News Radio. KLBJ.